Mr. Derek Vienhoff. He's better known as Deke. Drinking liquor with DJ Deke, we out laughing. Yeah, Deke. Face of Mankind was a first and third person massively multiplayer online action role playing game set in a futuristic persistent world. The game is was played by well the game was played from a variety of points of view. It was designed to emphasize role play and community using a faction system and player driven politics. Players interacted with each other in a freeform universe, uh, consisting in a series of locations spread across various planets. Major role-playing-based storylines, purely optional, are started and run by duplex staff, and then players in positions of power could also affect gameplay by setting factions' agendas, long-term political goals, economic goals, or military goals. Um, These were broken up into missions and then handed down through a faction's hierarchy in the form of player-generated and driven missions. Um, The game was basically it started as 10 factions and then was reduced to eight factions so when you created a character you choose to be either a cop a soldier or a corporate member of these four or five different corporations or a clan member which um there was a sort of a hippie clan then there was like a nefarious shadow clan called the brotherhood and then uh there was uh, you could be a mercenary um, so there's all these different roles you could play, and basically the game just just started off as chaos, no one because no one really knowing what to do, and the game didn't offer all that much to do because the the whole point of the game was for the players to come up with what to do. There was a there was a framework to the game in that there was a crafting system, a, a mining system, production system, and then a marketplace where you would sell what you've produced. So you go to planets looking for specific. Uh, mining materials you'd have to spend the time mining that and then you would um, go to a production facility and produce items which then would be combined to make further complex items like weapons and armor and whatnot and you would go and sell that on the markets and then each planet had its own individual market so you would you would strategically you know sell on certain planets if you knew certain people were going to be buying specific items there so there was a le- levels of complexity, but there wasn't too much. There wasn't too many objectives and clutter that was cluttering your gameplay. It was basically whatever your faction's personal goals were, combined with your economic goals of your individual player, and then sort of what you wanted your social status to be. Or you could just role play some sort of criminal. You didn't have to really role play a a, a real stand-up character like if you were in the if you were a cop you could a lot of people role-played crooked cops or or if you're in a soldier you could sort of be a traitor whatever you just whatever you you thought of you could pretty much do so so is it was an epic sandbox uh mmo and it was um all sci-fi set in the year 2300 that century and um yeah you basically travel the the around the globe or you can travel to different planets and there would be wars over over planets and politics and 
there was um I was a senator at one point of Tokyo, my character. Um I was a part of the Asian coalition. We we role played as uh, the Yakuza at one point and changed changed our whole factions our whole faction hierarchy to to reflect that and um yeah, so it was a really cool game and this podcast is sort of for the hardcore players who know what the game is all about. I basically interviewed the the lead designer and then the lead artist of the game. Uh so if you don't know what FOM is, listen, it might be interesting uh in just the game development viewpoint and um if you know the game, this podcast is for you specifically. So, I hope you enjoy the Face of Mankind podcast. It is the year 2389. Mankind has conquered the galaxy. Deep space colonies reach out light years from home. On Earth, life draws together in four massive cities. Power is balanced between giant corporations, government departments, and clans. Corporations, seeking wealth at every turn. Money, diplomacy, corruption, and politics shape the world as much as any war. The face of mankind universe is constantly evolving because your actions, no matter how small, will affect something, someone, somewhere. Fame, fortune, military might, all there for the taking. Face the future. Face the unknown and fight for the ultimate prize, your destiny. Okay, I'm here with Marco Diekman, founder of indie studio Iron Lands, working on Phoning Home, a journey of exploration and survival, available on Steam now. Uh, Marco is the founder of Duplex Systems and is a creator of Face of Mankind. He joins us from Berlin today. Uh, welcome, Marco. Hi, Derek. Thank you. And Christian Noafel Ush was the lead artist for Duplex Systems and designed the environments and other artwork for Face of Mankind. And Christian joins us from Switzerland. Welcome, Christian. Hey, how are you doing? Great. So, guys, thanks again for doing this. Uh, starting off, you guys might not know this, but you both are some of my heroes in life because I spent so much friggin' time on this game, Face of Mankind, and our listeners have heard about it ad nauseum, and some of them have played it uh, with me as well. So, thank you for making that game. It was a good time. <laughs> You're you welcome. How welcome. much? How much time did you spend? So I started playing in the open beta 05, uh, February of 05, I believe, and then I must have played for at least two years, maybe three. I played a bit into the pay-to-play uh, era um, when the model of the, the game changed slightly. I, I think I played on and off after that, so maybe three to four years. 
sets on right. When did it end? Did it end in 2009? What do you mean by pay-to-play? Um, subscription or subscription? Yes, subscription. Yeah, it started right away with subscriptions in 2006. Oh, so I'm I'm kind of got the time wrong. Yeah, that maybe that was just like a solid year of playing the old style. And then so from February 05, the can you remind me of the timeline? When did the engine change? Where we changed all the skins? I say we because I feel like I created the game with you guys. <laughs> uh, you did, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was in the middle of 2005 or something where we started, and that was a horrible time. Okay. Christian, Christian knows all about it. <laughs> yeah, that was a mess. Um. Yeah, I guess we're jumping right to it. But why was that? A, why was it such a mess? Was it from the player side, or was it a mess on your end, developer? Oh well, where I was just speaking for my end because there was a lot of technical changes in the engine that made it hard to to basically port all the maps and all the models and what we had. Right. So it was a lot of work, probably more than we than we thought at the time. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we switched engines from the um, Talon engine to the Jupiter engine. They were both by Monolith uh, Technologies, or however that was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, later, it was called uh, Touchdown Entertainment. I don't think they exist anymore. Okay, <clears throat> and and we we mainly did it because the Talon engine's engine was highly limited. Uh, it didn't allow us for a lot of freedom in the level designs. Not that Jupiter was any super uh, great change, but it was better. And we could increase the poly counts and uh, all kinds of stuff. And yeah, we had a deal with the engine maker, and uh, later on uh, they came to us, and or um, I came to them and uh, asked them if we could. Yeah, switch to Jupiter, and they uh, they offered it for a small fee okay. to do that. And sorry, remind you uh, the thing that you said that you could do extra in Jupiter. You said map changes and adding what was it? Yeah, we had to to port all the maps uh, to the new um, system format, whatever. And what we uh, maybe Christian can add to that what uh, what was better in the new editor. He yeah. knows more about the level design stuff. Sure. Well, it wasn't only about the editor. I mean, that was the, the editors. They they still behaved very similarly, but uh, Jupiter allowed us to do more open spaces, and it it basically did the visual visibility calculation differently. So you could um, right. put in more stuff. <laughs> That's it. You yeah. can put in more stuff, and um. it still runs quite smoothly. Um, well, compared to the old engine, at least it is. Um, yeah. Oh, it reminds me of when you said open spaces. That's when you added Necker's Field as a map. Was that correct? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. That definitely wouldn't have been possible uh, before that. And I think Necker's Field was kind of also like a test to see how, what we can do uh, in terms of open spaces. Yes, I get that makes sense because that was that was a bit different of an experience that uh, environment than the other ones. Um, I actually yeah. built one of your environments out of Lego, and then I posted it on the forums <laughs> the one day. Really? Uh, it Which was, one? It was the node at Kamidakata 
Um, oh, yeah. I forget what it's called now with the little ramps and stuff, but it was funny, yeah. Um, <laughs> just goes to show you how sort of involved we were uh, in the game that I would sit and do that. Uh, immersion was such a huge part of this game, and this is what I try to explain to people when I talk about it, is that it's not some... Like, for its time, people might even say that, you know, the graphics... It wasn't some sort of groundbreaking graphics-wise or anything like that, but it was, it was something about the role-playing, uh, the player-based uh, story, the player-based economy, or player-driven, I should say, um, that just added such a level of immersion to it. And I have not found that in another game, and I don't know if that's just nostalgia speaking, or you know, like you, sometimes you look at newer things differently. You don't look at them like you did before. But what, what did? How did you have immersion in mind at creating the game? What, what, what role did that play? Did, did, was that always in your mind that you wanted it to be so in depth like that? I mean, the the basic uh, idea was. To create a virtual world uh, where like everything is possible, and uh, that is of course a very very ambiguous uh, ambitious goal uh, for a first time developer, and that was all our first game for all of us. I think uh, for Christian, he was very young when he started, and practically everybody else. And yeah, if you would do that nowadays, they would laugh at you. Uh, and and say ah why do you start with an MMO and even with such an ambitious one I don't know it was just the uh, the thought to to create this this open uh, environment uh, that that made it so so appealing to me and of course we uh, we also um, and by we I meant I uh, I wanted to create you know like this this sci-fi world where you could just dive in and experience something else that you wouldn't in real life. Right, but it was so it was so amazing how the chips fell. Like um, each aspect and element to the game allowed for a more exponential experience from it. Like it wasn't so much that you went into the game. There's all these mechanics that allowed for all this. It was like there was just enough mechanics existing so that the player could, you know, the mission system, the sort of. Uh, building things and crafting things and then the players just took that and then went to the next level by having all these social interactions and hierarchies and it was just yeah it was an amazing experience I think I think the, the immersion in the game also comes from the absence of those classical gameplay limitations because often they will break the immersion in a game if you have limitations that do not feel natural to the world of the game um, they will break immersion quite a bit and and in the face of mankind we just didn't have that many limitations in what the player could do and so we didn't have like we didn't uh, accidentally break like the, right. the rules basically of this universe so I think that that helped a lot that makes sense that yeah sense. yeah um what particular games inspired either of you from early video game playing? Was there like Ultima Online, any of those? Cyberpunk? Like where did the cyberpunk stuff come from? Yeah, that came from Anarchy Online. Oh. It's not really cyberpunk, but it was sci-fi. It was released earlier or during the development, I think. I'm I'm not exactly sure, but I think it, it was released in 2001 or something. And uh, that was one of the main 
main inspirations. And the other first time, uh, the other early MMOs which started there. Um, and before, yeah, what did we play? Uh, I mean, I played games like Doom and stuff. It, <laughs> I mean, it was 2001, and uh, there, yeah. there wasn't that. That I mean, uh, did it? Was it even Half Life One? Yeah. Yeah, Half-Life, Half-Life was in 1998 yeah. or 7, I think. Uh, and then uh, Deus Ex, the first one, was that out in 2001? I can't remember. Maybe 99. For me, yeah, for, that, for... So that was an inspiration too, of course. For, for Tokyo, for designing Tokyo, I just remembered. Because for me, it's a very, very long time ago, this stuff. Um, but for me, the, the, there was like this Blade Runner adventure game at one point. I think it was, it had like cutscenes that were actually live performances or something, and for me that was actually a heavy inspiration for the for the design of Tokyo, or that's what I wanted to achieve anyhow. Mm. Um, it was a little bit hard, but yeah. Oh, you did an amazing job. Those are our stomping grounds. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That brings me to one question. How much did you guys pay attention to the storyline that was going on with the players throughout the time? Like, were you were you busy a lot with developing, so you didn't get to uh, immerse yourself much, or did you sometimes play characters and get in the world yourselves? And what time do you mean? Specifically? Um, let's say like um, two thousand five to two thousand six. Did you? Yeah, in two thousand five and two thousand six, there was no playing for me. <laughs> I was. I was so burned out by this work. I mean, had to recreate the UI three times uh, because it was an iterative process, and the second iteration just sucked. Uh, and the publisher also said, "Oh no, that looks ugly. Uh, please re, please, please redo that." Uh, so I just spent an enormous time, uh, uh, yeah, just doing that. And then they said, "Okay, no, we've seen that, and we don't want that." <laughs> Right. And so I had to do it re- uh, redo all over again, uh, and that was, I think, the time when also Christian uh, was at my place, and yeah, where where it just was too much for me, and I had a little bit of of an issue with uh, my health. Ah, uh, okay. What about Christian? Did yeah. you play it all, or? Yeah, I, I used to participate in the in the in some of the events, mm-hmm. and I I was also hanging around in the IRC channel. Mm. But oh yeah, IRC, um, sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but but I did not follow the overall storyline after a while. I I don't really remember what time it was where when I actually really participated in the in the in the whole community driven story. Um. It was also just it, it was a very demanding game to play, right? Uh-huh, yeah. You had to spend a lot of time to get to be up to date with with all that is going on. Yeah. And at that time, I didn't didn't really have the time anymore. Um, when we first went into open beta, I think I particip- participated quite a bit, but after a while, I I didn't have the time anymore. Right. No, that makes sense. Yeah, you guys are working hard. Um, I mean, I think in in 2005, none of us really <laughs> had the time to play. 2005 was really really busy. I mean, there was this, uh, there were the new models coming in, and that was so much work. I had to open each of the models in 3D Studio Max because we had to export them to the engine because mm-hmm. the engine was so. Um, restrictive that I couldn't give 
the engine to the outsourcer mm. so um, so that they would export it and test it in game that was not possible they had to use a physical dongle uh, the, that was what they did uh, back then yeah. and I had to uh, had to open the models in 3D Studio Max and check every error on the export and then tell them that and they would have to guess what the error is to and so on and and then um, yeah I I mean of course when we started open beta in, in, in January 2005 it was like a crazy in IRC I can remember the time when <laughs> when we just hit the the button and all of the players flooded in it yeah. was I think at that day we had a thousand or so on the server at the same time right. and it was crazy because nothing worked Oh, they yeah. were all. They were all. They were all uh, hovering, uh, floating everywhere, and uh, huge uh, neck spikes and stuff. Yeah, but that... it was still. It, it was still fun. I, I remember us uh, sitting in, in New York City down uh, in the mall, and and just uh, you know, listening and uh, and watching the players as they all come in and do yeah. crazy stuff. There wasn't yeah. much to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was somehow a very, very uh, astonishing moment when we've been, I don't know, developing the game. I've been active since 2001 or something. And then after four years or whatever, suddenly people start looking at your stuff and enjoying it in some cases. Right. <laughs> yep. and, and so many people like experiencing what you've created. It was like a very profound moment for me. Oh, I could imagine. Yeah, that must be. Um, it. Now speaking of the change, the engine change in the IRC chat, I, I do remember that moment clearly where, uh, just to give a side of the player's point of view, when it was announced that the engine would change, I believe part of that change was where the Asian Coalition uh, and the, uh, a, the American Enterprise would be amalgamated into a new faction, or rather just removed and replaced with this Vortex Inc., and I forget what the reasoning was behind that, but I know a lot of play- especially the players in those two factions, were like, oh, screw this, we're going to do this and that. And so then there was this, I think, a week or some sort of period of time where we still were allowed to play. And what the players in the Asian Coalition did was we had this this election going on and we rigged it somehow so that our guy got in and we we were role playing as the yakuza as this criminal gang and so we robbed the entire faction funds and we uh we role played it though you know it wasn't it wasn't like a nefarious sort of it was it was part of our role playing that we then took that money and sold drugs in Tokyo and this and that and had these beef with the Tokyo police department like it was this whole epic thing and it was kind of based on the the changes there that would that we knew that our faction was going to be uh, taken away so it's just interesting the player side of things how these mechanics need to be changed to because you know I'm sure you there are many there's much talk on your developing side about why these changes had to happen and we you know we talk about the graphics and everything from the pre 2005 era I'm sure you wanted to adapt and change to the mod more modern something a little more modern and what players lost a bit was that kind of uh, almost sketchiness of the characters there was fat guys there was skinny guys there was all these it has had a little more nuance to the to the skins and the graphics of the characters and then it felt a bit homogenized afterward i think that was one thing that people people felt weird about i mean 
I think we had ten factions before, mm. and we just had to cut two. I think that was the gist of it. Yeah. Um, and um, we had an outsourcing studio, which we uh, gave, uh, which we gave the task to create all those different armor pieces and textures, and that was all already quite so much work and took so much longer. <clears throat> so we just had to do eight, and that was already too much. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that it was, was a lot, I think yeah. the reason I I don't remember any other reason. There was no specific decision. Oh, okay, uh, this is a bad faction. We have to cut <laughs> it. Um, yeah, maybe yeah, I uh, think the the logo was the worst ones. Those two factions. Those uh, were the uh, with the cheapest logos. Oh no! I, made I, them. I liked them. I made Sorry. them. <laughs> I, I, I love the Asian coalition. I'm just that's it. It was like a circle. That's it. I loved it. <laughs> What was the circle? But I think the Asian Coalition one. It was. I think it was almost just like a circle, and then you're. I can't even remember the logo. I, yeah. I can remember the American Enterprises one, and that was a flat placket with with American Enterprises on it. I think that was. Yeah. That was all of it, and the others were at least a little bit better. Interesting. But I thought that it was basically the reasoning was that we didn't have enough players for as many factions, right? right? So we wanted to merge some of them. Mm. And I think Asian Coalition and American, what was it, Enterprises? Yeah. They were just mm. the ones with the fewest players or something. But they were the best I players. I can't remember that. I would, I would not <laughs> That's say possible. that. That's possible. Maybe they were the best players, however. Um, uh, I can tell you. Know that. I can tell you some stories. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, but... Um, oh, well, you know... Yeah, well, so I want to know about uh, when you back in the start of the open beta. Where did all the players filter in from? Like, where did the closed beta community come from? Was it specific games? Because I know the person who introduced our group to it was from Planetside forums. Hmm. Um, was there yeah, any? I don't, there was no specific uh, uh, theory. Uh, uh, no a specific plan or. Um, some uh, I don't know uh, what to say. Um, let me so go it, back. It was just it was just um, certain advertisement channels that you had put the game out, and then people just caught wind of it. And no, no, uh, we don't. Uh, we didn't have any advertisement going on. I think it was MMORPG.com that we did most of our activity with. Oh, okay. And and then of course there were people like. Like uh, Planetside players, uh, Neocron players uh, specifically. That was uh, that was uh, a tough story with the Neocron community. Was <laughs> a, a sort of this little fight between the community. Oh, um, yeah, that was going on in 2004 or so, I think. Um, and because we uh, were achieving a, a similar style like them, and and they felt a little bit, you know. How it is? Uh, are you stealing and yeah, so on? Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, but uh, we didn't have any analytics back then, so we don't know like exactly where the people came from. Right. <clears throat> but yeah, uh, we know that the most uh, the most players came from MMRPG.com, where we had a few a few um, promotion things going on, uh, like with the open beta. I think. Can you remember some more? question yeah we did some i think like um we gave away some closed beta um keys, keys? or something <laughs> we we don't have keys <laughs> no? 
Oh, yeah. Did he have fees? <laughs> or an invitation, I don't know. I don't drink. I think you had to be invited, from what I remember. I, I don't remember the... the um, yeah. And it is such a long time ago. Oh, it's yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah, nowadays you just give away Steam keys, right? And that's all very easy. You go into this platform and it's it's all done for you. You just generate the keys and then you give them out. Done. <laughs> and back then, I don't know, uh, maybe the publisher had to do something. I, I'm totally not sure. <laughs> it's okay. Um... But I think, uh, yeah, with MMRPG.com, um, there was this thing where you just had to click on a link or something, and that was hidden. I'm not sure. It's also long ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how were the original rank 7s chosen? Was it was this community managers that were appointed to the top rank in each faction, and then the players, the other players filtered up, so to speak? Or how did that work again? I think that must have been uh, a decision by the OJOM team. Oh. Uh, like the community uh, manager, which was liked by everyone uh, <laughs> who, who was assigned from from Ojom, um, he I think he was involved in that, but I'm not entirely sure. It was not just him, of course not. But uh, there were uh, some other people at Ojom who also decided, and because we didn't have time for this, uh, right. I didn't look at players uh, players and and uh, say oh. This one is very active and he's nice and stuff. Right. And of course, and of course, players came to us and and um, I mean, uh, I remember when um, uh, Chris uh, Christopher Alford uh, came to me the first time, um, showing some maps that he did for Face of Mankind. And later he worked on the game at uh, Nexion mm. in two thousand eight. I mean, that's how it starts, you know. People come to you and they uh, do some maps, they do some textures, they uh, they help you, and yeah, then you recognize them and you recognize their value, and yeah, that's yeah. how you get an R seven or right. a moderator or whoever. And and then what happened in the, the first days of the open beta is that a lot of the players, like myself and our group, came into the game just wanting to shoot things and, you know, do whatever, and we didn't understand the role-playing aspect. I had never really played a role-playing game like that before. And then event, it was a lot of chaos at first, and actually we were stuck in Tokyo, in Otaku, we didn't even know you could get anywhere else for the few few hours until someone comes along and tells you, hey, you can go to Manhattan and this and that. But I remember this guy, uh, Rivers came up to us and he was playing as a rank 4 FTC guy and he started explaining, he was role playing and he started explaining to us sort of the structure and he was he was talking about the Freedom Defense Corps and this is what you have to do and we were laughing at him and this and that and then we realized like, oh, this is how you play the game. You start to role play these characters and you fall into them and you interact and you go around as a group and then, and then it really became this like, just a tight group of you know, the kind of I don't know, just camaraderie with your faction and then the politics and and, and then it, it went from there. It, it, it sort of organized itself. Like, order came from the chaos. So it's it such a fascinating aspect of it to me in the beginning there. Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, that was... There, wasn't, uh, there weren't many features in the game uh, and those that were were mainly, uh, like, all open. You, you When you uh, do a mission... Uh, someone else had to evaluate it, or um, 
I mean, there were like three iterations on the mission system. At first, it was like very chaotic, uh, very chaotic, where uh, it was all players involved, nothing, uh, no objective factors, which we had to change later on because of many exploiters. And I mean, that's an mm. that's that's an entire topic on its own. Exploits and phase of mankind. Yeah. That's the same thing. Um, and in 2006 and later, we we worked on that topic only, on nothing else. Ah. Only on keeping the the exploits in order and, and then the hackers, the cheaters, and, and, and stuff like that. It was it was uh, very painful to see that, that uh, some of them tried to destroy the experience for the others, which is not nice. Yes, but yes. It, it was a constant task for us, and it was kind of very uh, frustrating at times. We could have spent the time on on something else, you know, on on building new features or on even adding new content and stuff. But we couldn't. Uh, the, uh, right. It, it was always uh, fixing that hole and uh, uh, filling that leak and so on. Um, and I will admit, and maybe you guys can forgive me these days for it, but I did create maybe one or two extra characters in the beginning, and then gave myself the money <laughs> from that character. Yeah. As I think eighty percent of players did, at of least. Of course, <laughs> I mean, if it's if a game is difficult, you find you find ways around it. But that's fine. That's that's a normal balancing issue which uh, we had to sort out. Uh, I mean, if a game is free like that, uh, it will yeah. create uh, loopholes and it will create uh, all kinds of of uh, of these exploits that you, that you mentioned. We uh, cannot block them all, and we shouldn't block them all. It's, no, it's no. Stupid. But what's interesting about that is that a lot of the players sort of stepped up to bat for the game itself by, um, and I guess this happens in other games too, is, is calling out exploiters. Or when I remember uh, there was a, a highly elite group of Asian Coalition uh, players. We called ourselves the Asian Coalition Samurai, and there were a few of us, and they were really good uh, combat players in the game and I remember I was still doing this at one point I had made a character to, to give myself some money and one of our my fellow members found out and we had this whole inter like in the faction there was this whole discussion about and I had to apologize and all this stuff so it wasn't so much that you know everyone was just doing it it was like people would kind of keep you in check if they could which was interesting how people connect so viscerally to the game they wanted to they wanted to stay not exploited if, if possible. Yeah, I think a large large part of the player base um, has contributed very positively to the game overall. I mean, without without a, a great community, a game like this doesn't work, right? You need the the role players. You need the the, the people who are really in, invested in this kind of game. Yeah. Can we talk about that, about the suggestion forums and, and whatnot? How, how did the idea come about to have an area of the forums where players would actually go on and suggest things they think should be added or changed to the game? I mean, I guess it was an open beta, so that, it, that was the idea. But you kept, but the suggestion forums were, were around for a long time. And, and, play, yeah. and, and you actually implemented changes that players spoke about, which was amazing. Yeah, I think that's what developers do. They they want to uh, focus uh, all the the input from the community into some forum and not have it like in in the forums everywhere. And that was the goal 
for this specific subphone. And then I think there was also a way to vote on some things. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I think later was, on yeah. we, we changed the, the, the forum system to VB, and that was all kinds of uh, complex features. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what you do. I mean, if you have the time uh, as a developer, you, you try to uh, do what your community wants. Yeah, no, I, I had at that point I had never really played a game like that. So it was a new experience for me um and it was it was really cool to be able to play a game uh which was free and fun and immersive and everything, but you could then you could also suggest things and it wouldn't just be it would actually be heard and added to the game and and some of these things made the game better. I can't quite remember specific changes that that were player player suggested but uh, um, it was it was mostly uh, related to the to the mission system to the economics uh, uh, balancing in the in the um, production rules and I mean the, this was an entire world in its own all these production rules and then the the, the, the the minings and so on yeah I mean, we changed all that multiple times to probably not always to make it better. I mean, to make it work sometimes. And and uh, people sometimes would uh, think, okay, uh, the change was uh, this change was for the worst, or it wasn't really um, helping, and so on. But it's all subjective. And at some point, you just have to make a decision as a developer. You can't make everyone happy. Yeah. Um... I, so I know we went over that you guys were busy with the game, didn't get to play a lot, but are there, are there any moments you guys remember as funny or interesting moments from either any of the, the stories written on the forums or any, any events that stick out to your in your memory, or was it too long ago? <laughs> at, one, at one point I participated in some, or actually I organized it, I don't remember, um, where a where I played the daughter of some kind of scientist and I had to be protected. So there right. was like one or two factions <laughs> trying to protect me and like um, the other other factions trying to kill me. And that was a lot of fun. Okay, so I now... Okay, this is amazing because that, I was actually involved with this. Um, this was the Gabriella Black story? Yeah, that's possible. So, yeah, so you were playing this girl who had some information about aliens or some secret yeah. that we didn't quite know. Right. And they had the GIS was protecting you, and this. I, this is what happened. Exactly, the, yeah. This is what happened. The, ga- the, the We called ourselves the Yakuza at the time, but I think we were still the Asian coalition. But this is when we had decided, no, we're, <laughs> we're the Yakuza now. We just have these suits on or whatever. And... We were just hanging out in Tokyo, and this event was going on. So the army, the Freedom Defense Corps, was sort of protecting you, as well as with the GIS, which were like the FBI. And we literally, this and this to this day is what I tell people why the game was so great because there's events going on, and we're just hanging out there, and we just decide let's interject ourselves into the story. So you know, we role play our characters. Hey, what are you guys doing in Tokyo? Oh, you shut your mouth. You know, this is army detail. You you know. Oh, you don't know who you're talking to. This is Tokyo, like, and this yeah. is our turf kind of thing. And then, yeah, there was a little fight, and we we called our goons, and we we captured you, and we I think you, we put you in a bathtub in this apartment in Tokyo <laughs> somewhere. It's <laughs> possible. And that's so funny that you bring that up as uh, the story because that's one that I remember as well. 
Yeah, I mean, this, I wish, this... uh, I wish we uh, we had the time to do more uh, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, even even Christian uh, to uh, uh, some of us um, organizing their personal events and and then um, like weekly on a weekly basis, that would be. Uh, I think that was the plan at some point, but uh, um, if were you ever a moderator? I can remember. Uh, who me or no? Yeah, you. No, no, I wasn't. Uh, but uh, the mods will probably remember. I mean, we we had a forum for all that, and yeah. there were suggestions. And uh, because all of them were were like players, or most of them, uh, it wasn't really always very organized, and we couldn't keep up the the weekly rhythm or uh, even a biweekly rhythm. So, yeah, I wish we uh, we had more resources to do. All, these things that would be awesome. Yeah. And then the game uh, would be much much better, and and it would be more. Um, yeah, there would be more incentives for players to uh, come back and yeah. you know gear up for this specific event, like the Man in Black event. Yeah. Which I remember very uh, specifically, which was very fun. Yeah, I I remember that. Um Part of the reason why I maybe stopped playing was because the community, not only the game changed a bit over the years, but the community seemed to change. Like some people maybe got older, stopped playing games, left, and maybe younger crowd came in or something. And those events didn't happen as often, and people were more focused on, can I get kills, can I get this and that. It was, it just changed a bit. But there were some guys, I remember, that were writing great stories, and, and not only, they weren't just writing the stories, they were actually, there was they were playing out events and then writing stories. Um, you had Devoro, I believe, had the Winter's Fall story, and you had Emu Farmers did a lot of, he was like a newscaster, and then you had this guy, McVenner, uh, Genjuro, uh, Papa Mojo, all these these guys are really dedicated to to running and playing these events and then writing the stories about them. It was it was cool stuff. Yeah. Yep. I and mean, it was really uh, where the, the the game was really at its best when 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 people work together to create something in this framework or universe. That is great. Yeah, I would say um, one of the coolest things after after what I speak of the Yakuza era and this sort of thing. Uh, the there was a couple members of our group that stayed around in the game, and one of them was my real life uh, friend uh, Nick Carr, and he's been on this podcast. And uh, shout out to Nick Carr; he was Dalit Khan in uh, Face of Mankind, and he ran. He kept with the Asian esque theme, uh, Tokyo thing, and and ran a sushi company because there was eventually there was sushi in the game. I don't know. So yeah, and this is when you could still, I believe, put items on tables and stuff. So. There was literally a place in uh, Tokyo, I believe, Sushi Corner, it was called or something. And he would sit behind the register and like just literally play farm for hours selling sushi and pizza. And he would hire like mercenaries to protect him. And there would be like little scuffles, and security would kick people out, and little he would get attacked, this and that. And then you guys added where you could use, I believe, fa- uh, uh, universal credits in the game to buy an advertisement of your own voice you could upload into the game and then you would hear it right. in the environment right. so i did uh this 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 tokyo this japanese guy doing an advertisement for the sushi corner and we put it in the game and that was one of the craziest things i'm playing this game my buddy is selling the sushi at the thing and i and you hear my voice in the <laughs> game it, it was just it was incredible it was just amazing 
it was a lot of work <laughs> uh, <laughs> for us because we had to edit manually and manually patch it into the server and the client, of course. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's the uh, the reason why this kind of game can work. It's just um, because there's there are practically no features, no meta features, which are uh, do this and do that. Um, you do something like this because you have no quests to do. We ha- you have no leveling to do or something else that you <laughs> would do in a in a normal MMO. You do stuff like that. You talk to people and you try to organize uh, some event. You try to roleplay, and yeah, that was the thing. Yeah, um, it brings you to one of my final uh, areas. I wanted to know. Uh, hypothetically, if given infinite resources uh, today, um, what? Well, and I know Marco, you are you just worked on a new game, which I want to get to that in a moment because I've played a little bit of that. But for this question, if, if given infinite resources uh, and using all the experiences you've you've gained from making farm and 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 other things, what what would that game look like? A- and would it be one of these highly immersive role playing, player driven games? You know, um, asking a developer that question creates all kinds of brain explosions. <laughs> <laughs> because the developer never has endless resources. <laughs> right, 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 right. That, that, that's like... Uh, it, it's, I am not even sure that it's a dream come true. Because if you have endless resources, you would never finish the game. I guess that's true, yeah. <laughs> just, just check out uh, Chris Roberts' game, Star Citizen. Okay. Just check out that. I mean, they... They cannot finish the game because it's more and more millions are coming in. They are at 150 million or whatever. I I, I would call that endless resources. Oh, okay. Um, uh, maybe not uh, maybe not in GTA 5 territory, but but that's still enough. And I'm not sure why they are not uh, capable of finishing the game. Oh, maybe okay. Maybe but, I could mog, uh, transmogrify my question into let's say back in 0506. Let's say you had. Uh, tenfold resources that, that you had at the time. What would you have changed about Face of Mankind at all? Or done differently? Tenfold. Tenfold. I would probably hire more people. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, because it's just uh, more reliable to uh, to have people that are being paid. It's it just, uh, it was a constant pain to, uh, to motivate all the guys like Christian, like, like, uh, we should actually mention all the others, Christian. Sure. We should mention, we should mention Christopher Bartlett, who did um, a lot of uh, levels as well later on. Um, let me pull up a list, and you can talk in the meantime, Christian. Sure. Yeah. So, if if like with my knowledge now, if I would if I would do Face of Mankind again, I would I would try to concentrate on making it easier to create these kinds of events. Um, basically, maybe there's like some idea where you can have like an MMORPG where 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 you can decide on on game masters that would have tools to create these events much ah, easier. Right. And I think if 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 we would talk about a game like Face of Mankind, I think that might be a a, a way to go. Um, me personally, at the moment, I'm not involved in any. Um, game development anymore and if I just would do a game it would pr- probably be very story driven um, maybe some some kind of 
some kind of uh, small indie game like Inside or I like. Oh, maybe. Age. Or maybe a little game with a little robot. Hey. That, hey. Or that one. Or that one, of course. Story story based games are fun. <laughs> so uh, we should mention all the others. Uh, you can continue in a bit, Christian. I, I just wanted to. Um, and mention all the other people who have worked on it. I mean, the level designers and and uh, I mean it's uh, Christian. It's uh, Christopher Bartlett. He was known as Barky. Uh, he did um, Titan Station, uh, Ceres Delta. Christian, help me out. <laughs> Any others? I don't really remember. Series Delta was where I'm... we went on vacation. I think that's what uh, it ended up being. This place where people would joke that you. Sort of went on I vacation think, there. I think uh, that was... Uh, he was very, very... Oh, not... Oh, I was mixing that up. That was uh, Matthias Peters. He did Titan Station and yeah. Ceres Delta. He was very thorough with his uh, level design. He took so much time and drove me mm. nuts. <laughs> but uh, but the, it was one of the two most beautiful uh, uh, scenes I think we had. Yeah, I and think I think Ceres was the first one that was specifically built for for the new engine. Yeah, and he put in a lot of a lot of details, basically. Yeah, lots of detail, and it was still it, it was still slow at times, right? Yeah. Who did? And who, then who developed the yeah? Yukon, the Yukon uh, station? Yeah, that was uh, Christopher Bartlett. Yeah, that was amazing. Barky, he did the Moon Station too. Uh, and he uh, a moon base was it called and then um, he did the new uh, he transformed many of the maps to the new uh, to the new format too mm. and then there was Henrik Bolle uh, who is now a very very good uh, concept artist at uh, character uh, he he even did uh, concepts for Game of Thrones oh. a series. Cool. Um, yeah, he's he's he, he's a very good guy, and uh, and they all started uh, on Face of Mankind. That was the first game ever. <laughs> huh. And then uh, Philip Kuhn, he is also uh, a Switzer Switzerland guy. Switzerland. Is guy, that the proper? Right. Yeah, is that <laughs> the proper term? <laughs> 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 a Switzerland guy. He did uh, the Paris maps. Oh wow! Okay, they they were also very very large, and I think uh, next year and later they cut some of them out. I'm not sure, or we had to cut some of them out. Oh yeah, well some of the earth the the earth maps. That's the thing is like when we started, each earth area had I believe four large areas, and then they were they were cut, and uh, some of them uh, some of them were combined. I think right, the Paris right. one was combined uh, when we. When we did the switch, yeah. So we yeah. combined some of them, and then uh, there was Tobias Meyer. Uh, he did some of the modeling, um, the early modeling of of the environment, of of the cars and and the sushi that you mentioned. <laughs> and of course, our composer, who is also a very good composer, uh, doing all kinds of advertisements now and short movies, uh, Christopher Dirks. He's from uh, from Hamburg. A lot of Chris's. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Chris's, yep. right? Chris, <laughs> yeah. Chris, Chris. Yeah, the music was great. The music was like perfect for the setting. And you know, there would be the battle music. I mean, 
it was yeah, it was fitting. It was all fitting to the to the theme. Yeah. Um so let's jump to your new game that uh I purchased on Steam. It's called Phoning Home, right? Yes, it Phoning is. Home. Um why don't you break it down for us? What is it all about? Now I've only played the first few I played for a few hours and I'm just floating around now, my little robot, and I'm looking for those resources and trying to figure out what the heck happened to my spaceship. I'm stuck on this planet. Why don't you tell the, the listeners what it's all about? Yeah, uh, Phoning Home is, is a story about a little uh, a little robot, actually an exploration unit, who is um, on a mission to secure raw materials for his home planet. The home planet is a planet of robots, um, a very dystopian planet, which we never see, but we only... Uh, they talk about it, and... Uh, you can read it in the library, and uh, yeah, you explore this strange planet that you crash land on. You have no idea why you crash land on it. Um, the magnetic field is no, not magnetic. Uh, Spoiler the alert: gravita- <laughs> the gravitational field is is so weird. It's acting so strangely that they just cannot leave it again, and they have to find a way to. Uh, to overcome this, and uh, yeah, I cannot tell m- much more because yeah. I mean, on that specific topic, because it would be a spoiler. But uh, later on, you meet another robot who is strangely enough from the same planet, um, but they were on a different mission, which I won't spoil too. Um, but uh, you have to protect this other robot, and uh, she identifies as female, uh, and that creates a lot of uh, funny dialogue in in the in the game the 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 characters are actually all voice overed and the little robot has a cute little uh, beeping voice and she's she's talking a lot and i mean um, this is how you experience the game through the story and through the environment and uh, you have a lot of survival to do you have to find uh, resources, but it's not like a base building game or anything. You have to find the resources just to move on. Right. And you also have to protect this other robot um, from the natural um, environment, from from the weather, from uh, from everything, basically, and uh, have to help her um, around obstacles and stuff like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fun little game so far that, uh, and I'm not too far into it, but it's been enjoyable, and I'm gonna finish it shortly. And now it's available on Steam. I believe the price point here it's only twenty one ninety nine for people if they want to go buy it on Steam. Um, oh, that's Canadian dollars. That's Canadian. Oh, okay, yeah, yes. Right. Our, our, yeah. That's for. Yeah, it's our, in the in the twenty dollar range, and uh, and to uh, tell you a little bit more about the. the the development side of it that actually started um, I always wanted to do a game with huge natural environments which which uh, with lush with lush forests and and with deserts and with with uh, winter areas and 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 stuff like that which which look very very nice and um, then I always uh, thought, okay, who would explore such a thing? And I always wanted to do a game with a little robot, so I tried that. And I think it creates a, a certain charm. 
Yeah, definitely. It reminds me a little bit of the the movie Wall-E, like that kind of experience, like just kind of an endless space thing and 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 you little seemingly helpless robot who then perhaps finds his way or his sort of power to to make it through the exploring. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, you will see. Uh, there's there's a lot of voiceover, and I think that's the strength of the game. The story that that moves on. Uh, you have actually the ship uh, that you come with is a character on its own. It's uh, it's like a mentor to you, and he tells you a lot of the stuff that's that's going on. Um, he uh, comments what you find and and gives you useful tips. And yeah, just try it out. Cool, folks, go try it out. Go go grab it on Steam. Check it out. Um, so yeah, guys, I just want to thank you once again for joining us on the podcast. You, uh, we've talked about you guys many times. Uh, maybe not by name, but we've talked about Face of Mankind on this podcast multiple times. People get annoyed by me sometimes, but the people who have played it uh, really enjoy reminiscing and talking about it. And I'm going to share this episode uh, with some of my old contacts from the game and. Uh, See, see if there's other cool memories out there that some people remember, and who knows. Thank so, yeah. you very much. It's been a lot of fun um, thinking about this whole thing again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very yeah, nostalgic. What are, what are you doing actually now, Christian? Maybe you can talk about that too. Um, well, well, I I finished my PhD at the university. Um, and I'm currently teaching there, actually. So oh. it's it's probably not that exciting for the listeners. What is the what is the um, uh, area of study, though? Um, I do computational methods, um, mainly in economics and finance, um, but really, really focused on on the computational part. So a lot of stuff doing with machine learning and agent-based modeling and stuff like that. Oh, well, maybe we'll have to do another podcast one day about that stuff, maybe. <laughs> maybe, yeah. sure, if you're interested. For sure. Um, or may, maybe one day you'll go back to gaming and you'll create a finance game. <laughs> Probably not. There's, <laughs> but, but there's, like, aspects to studying economics and and how, basically, actually, like, like um, order emerges from chaos that you that you see in complex adaptive systems that might be interesting to explore in a game oh yeah for maybe. sure for sure well yeah maybe. that that's kind of what we we talked about with farm so that's yeah. yeah yeah that that player driven economy was uh you know once people i don't know if there's you start with nothing but there's resources and then things just emerge and these price points of the weapons emerge yeah. and the yeah and basically if you have some very simple rules and out of the interactions between the different agents like this whole whole new thing emerges like this macro behavior that you would not guess just from the single parts of the of the system right yeah amazing well hey uh yeah once again thank you guys both and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon good luck uh with your teaching and marco good luck with um with phoning home and any future endeavors. Thanks again, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, Have take care. One. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to the Decast. You can support the show by going to decast.ca and finding the Patreon link. Or you can share this episode on social media or tell a friend about it. You could also leave a review on iTunes or leave a comment on SoundCloud. Thank you again and tune in next time. Hey, Decast listeners, this is Trevor Twining from Niagara Podcasters Network. If you want other local Made in Niagara podcasts, then head over to Niagara Podcasters Network. Our hosts are sharing stories and podcasts that are made for Niagara and by Niagara. Hope to see you there. You can find us at niagarapodcasters.org. It's done, Throwing at me P and stamp plus so you can't outrun me. Try to... Oh, peace on me, we're on AOS. Please throw you 10v3 or less. I'm an FDM, I'll grief you all until you stun me. Gotta, oh, peace on me. In Aria, heading to Central Point, find a Gumby Parade. So we throw a grenade, start to scream and shout. I'm loose, then we go arms out. Reared at Yukon, checking out NYC. Hear that beautiful song. Merc's killing LED, we just leave them be. Stand all round in MVG. Cause you know that baby I... I'm an FDN, I'll grief you until you stun me. Gotta OP stun me. Throw an MMP and stamp so you can't outrun me. Try to OP stun me. Don't shoot LED, but I will kick your ass if you scan me. I'm an FDN, I'll grief you all till you stun me. Gotta OP stun me. Being brief, try to instigate a war. Shoot us, that means we will gank you more. Scotic, till we get done. Got 5k, but we still had fun. I'm an FDN, I'll grief you all till you stun me. Gotta OP stun me. Throw an EMP and stamp so you can outrun me. Try to OP stun me. You arrested me. But I only had 51 PP. I'll be back until and to grief you all until you stun me. Gotta OP stun me. Thank you for listening. <laughs> okay, well, can someone get me my stuff from JP's house?